Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. I want you to, if you would, to get your Bibles out and open them to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, we'll get there in just a few moments. And um, we're continuing as, uh, this series that we have called uh, the Apostles' Creed. And Josh, if you can get to that and bring it up, that'd be awesome. So the Apostles' Creed, as I've said, this is a concise statement of Christian beliefs. And so far, here's what we've done so far, okay? We've gone a long ways into this. This is actually our ninth sermon in the series. And uh, first of all, we talked about the fact that God created all things and that the purpose of creation was us, that to have a relationship with God, uh, you, Jesus Christ, his only son, has to be the Lord of our lives, the Savior of our lives. That's, you don't automatically have a relationship with God. We talked about the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin and so that he could be both fully human and fully God at the same time to undo the curse that was brought upon us by Adam and Eve's sin in the garden. We also looked at the fact that the resurrection of Jesus Christ meant that he took our place so we could be redeemed from sin and death. And while his body lay in the tomb, uh, he descended first to gather all the believers into the presence of the Lord, and uh, then he ascended on the, uh, after 40 days to be at God's right hand, to give us access to God, to give us an anchor in God, and to give us authority from God. And also, when he ascended, he also poured out his Holy Spirit on us so the Spirit of God could dwell in every single person, that we could have God inside of us. That's such an amazing thing for help along the way. And then last week, we looked at his church, which God, uh, in his wisdom, uh, Jesus left here on earth to be his body, to be his hands and feet, and that we uh, would, would also understand that we are called by God, that we are led by those that God has given authority, that we're to be a holy church and a united church. You remember all that? Thank you, Chris. Chris remembers all that. You like these recaps I do? They get longer every week? Well, stand to your feet. We're going to read the Apostles' Creed one more time. We'll do this. We're, we're getting close to the end, you would think, but today I'm going to throw you a little curveball, so hang in there. But let's do this together. Everybody read, go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, today what we're going to look at, and this is where it gets a little funky, is we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. I did this on purpose because today is Father's Day, and I thought it would be a, a wise thing to talk about. And you see that the word Father uh, shows up a couple times in our creed, but I believe in God the Father, and then we read it that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. So we're going to talk about God our Father today, and, uh, and that's where we're going to go. So Galatians 4, starting in verse 1, follow along. I'm reading from the NIV here. Here we go. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental for spiritual forces of the world. 
let me just stop and say this, that this is not talking about our age in terms of years and that somehow until we reach a certain age that we are stuck in this place uh, subject to these elemental spiritual forces in the world. It's not referring to that. What it's talking about is making a comparison to how children in a household had to obey those that they were under authority. In the past, before Jesus Christ came, we were under the authority of the law. And so that what this is talking about is that we used to be subject to the law, and in that sense, we were slaves to that, okay? And, and, and so we were stuck because the law, perfect as it was, could not be kept by anybody. Nobody could keep it. Nobody could keep up with it. So, so what we have here is him saying uh, that, that before Jesus came and set us free from the law, we were stuck in a place spiritually that we couldn't get out of, that we were in slavery there. Now, he turns the corner, verse 4, here we go. But when the ta- set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Hallelujah. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. We just sang it. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Aren't you glad to be a child of God today? Let's pray one more time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the revelation of your word to us and the revelation that though we used to be slaves to those things, slaves to fear, slaves to the law, slaves to the flesh, slaves to spiritual forces, you have brought us out of all that and you brought us into the kingdom of your dear son, into your glorious light, and now we stand free. Now we stand, Lord, as children, and not only children, but heirs together with Christ. Christ as uh, to God our Father. So we thank you for that today in Jesus Christ's name. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Great Father's Day today. You know, I, uh, this week, uh, I, I think all three of my boys called me, not today yet, to wish me Happy Father's Day, but I will get to that later, I'm sure. But, uh, but the calls that they, they bring to me most often are calls for advice. And, uh, and I don't always know the answer, but I love the fact that they call me when they do. Andrew uh, actually didn't call me this week. He sent me a video and a text. In the video, he showed his microwave oven, and the microwave oven, he turned it on, and as soon as he did, sparks are literally flying out of the top of the microwave oven. And he asked me, do you have any idea what that is? And, I, and in this case, I didn't know. Uh, but I love the fact that he asked me about it, and as it turned out, uh, his father-in-law knew and had seen the video as well, and it would end up being like a $3 part, uh, some capacitor or something, and he was able to replace it himself and got his microwave working. That's awesome, right? Isn't that great? And so thank God that, that my son Andrew has a resource in his own dad, but his, his father-in-law as well, that he can call on. And I thank God that my grandchildren, uh, which are seven now, th- uh, six uh, boys and one little girl, but... Uh, that it was just born. But anyway, thank God these grandchildren also have their resource of grandfathers that can come along and be uh, speak into their lives as well. The other night, Alex called me. This was uh, probably four or five nights ago. And uh, just this may seem like a simple little thing, but he says, Dad, I, I, need a, I need some advice. I said, sure, what? He says, I got two lawnmowers. I bought a house, and the, one came with the house, and I already had one. And, he, he, you know, and then he starts doing a FaceTime call so I could see both. They both look great to me. 
And he was telling me the ups and downs of each of the mowers. And, and I, you know, and I, I, I just, what I started to do is I began to ask him questions. And this is a great way to answer, guys, I'm just telling you. Ask questions, lots of questions, because what that does is it helps uh, someone begin to think about the answer for themselves. And so, sure enough, uh, uh, I knew a little bit more about these mowers, but I, I really led with a lot of questions so that he would eventually make his own decision. Not because I'm afraid to help, well, maybe I'm a little afraid because if I say pick the red one and the, you know, and the gray one uh, or the red one blows up, then, <laughs> you know, he may, uh, may blame it on me. So, but no, but the main reason, honestly, is because I always want my boys to think for themselves and to learn for themselves how to make good decisions. Does that make sense? So, so you can do this at a young age with boys and girls both, is help them make decisions for themselves, guide them, and the better you get at it as a younger age, you do better as you grow up. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, Friday evening, my youngest calls me. This has been a great week for, for Dad. And he calls to ask advice about his car. The brakes had gone out on it. And he's wondering, he had taken it to a shop, and they gave him an estimate of $900. Well, I said, son, we only paid $800 for the car. <laughs> you know, that's probably not a good investment. I said, but, uh, but, but, and we got a good deal, mind you. We did. We got a very good deal on the car, but we didn't pay that much for it. So we're thinking, what should we do? And the solution seemed best that I will go over there, uh, and I will spend some time, and I'll fix the brakes for him, and we'll only be into it for parts and not labor and that way he can continue to have his car that runs fine otherwise it just the brakes had uh, had a pretty major problem huh that's the way to do it right so so I have these three boys and they ask advice and it's really a great thing and I love to hear from them Andrew Alexander and Abraham I didn't know it till after they were all born and I was sitting there talking to Andrew one day and I was explaining to him that uh you know, because we were looking at money or something, and I said, hey, did you know that there's a president on the $20 bill that has your, your first name as well? His name is Andrew. In fact, we'll just show you this $20 bill right here. And uh, there it is. So there's Andrew Jackson, and I, I was showing that to him, and then I, and it kind of dawned on me. I don't know why. I happen, I happen to have a 10 in my wallet as well, and I said, a funny thing is, is we also named your brother Alexander, which is his full name, and sure enough, Alexander Hamilton is on the $10 bill. And then it suddenly dawned on me, oh no, <laughs> a perfect trifecta of stupid here. <laughs> you guessed it, we named our third child Abraham, and guess who's on the $5 bill? I didn't even, I, you know, now somebody, somebody who studies a lot of Freud would probably think, well, you have this unusual attachment to money, and you're a freak, and you really need to, <laughs> I don't think so, I just, we just like those names. That made me decide, though, if we ever had another son, of course, that would have been a miracle, but if we ever had, we would have to name him George. <laughs> or we could go the other way and name him Ulysses or Benjamin, either way. So uh, maybe we should have started with Ulysses. I don't know. But we named them all with A's. People hated us for it because, uh, you know, you start to say their name and, you, you know, why, why did you do that? I don't know. It was a cute thing to do back in the 90s. What can I say? Uh, 80s and 90s, so we did it, we like those names, but, uh, but we love our kids, and in fact, when they were little guys, and this was mostly uh, talking about Andrew and Alex, when they were pretty young, probably around eight and six, somewhere in that range, um, I, they wanted to earn money so they could buy their, we, we made them pay for half of their first instrument that they bought, and so Andrew paid for half of his uh, electric guitar, which was hard to do, he had to come up with a couple hundred bucks, and of course, we're always feeding them money, at, you know, we're, we're, oh, you, you, you took out the trash, here's a five 
whatever, you know. Um, anyway, we just did our best to kind of bless them and help them along the way, but look for opportunities for them to make money. And Alex also uh, bought his first drum kit and learned to be a drummer, and they're both very, very good musicians, if you know them. Anyway, uh, so we, we, we did that. We felt like that was the right way to do it, to give them some monetary investment, so they felt invested in it. So one of the things I thought to do when they were quite young is I thought, I will, we'll start a lawn care business, and uh, my boys will run it with me, and I call, we called it AAA Lawn Care, <laughs> okay? So we're doing this on the side. It's a beautiful name, isn't it? It works. So anyway, we have this AAA lawn care business with uh, our three sons, and I bought a, a really inexpensive riding lawnmower, and, uh, but it was working fine, and we actually got some jobs, and, and uh, we were able to earn some money, and I, I pretty much, you know, bore all the costs just so they could earn money, and I'd work with them and stuff. When Andrew was just probably eight years old, I first taught him to mow the lawn by, by uh, do, doing, our, uh, and here's how it kind of went. I would, I would start the mower for him, I'd show him what to do, I'd walk with, I'd I have my arms over his and he'd have his arms in here and we'd walk together behind the mower and then I would walk beside him along with him in the mower you catch what I'm saying here and then I would stand back after I'd seen him do that for a little while and I would just watch him and when he got finished I'd point to a spot over there I said you know go back and get that and then then it kind of was this progression where where pretty much I could stand back and watch him from afar the whole time next thing you know I'm in the air-conditioned house sipping iced tea while he's out mowing the lawn Pretty soon it gets to the place I said, go mow the lawn, and that's that. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. And I did the same with Alex. But anyway, we had this little riding mower, and, uh, and it had a, a lot of the newer, and it's been for a long time this way, but the mower had a, a little kill switch in the seat. So if you ever got off the seat, the mower would die, right? Does that make sense? And it's pressure. Well, when you have a six-year-old boy riding a <laughs> riding lawnmower, and he's going through a bumpy field, it's going, it was the funniest thing, that this sound of Alex being uh, jumping up and down and the motor cutting out, and, but we got it mowed anyway. It worked. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. There's a parallel in the way I treated my kids with this idea of mowing lawns and all that, and, and I believe, too, how our Heavenly Father treats us as well. Uh, there are times when we can definitely feel the Father's presence in a situation. We feel God. Have you ever felt God in some way? Like you're in a moment and you just go, wow, I feel like the Lord is with me in this moment. You know what I'm talking about. But there's other times where we're like, man, I could really use some help here, God. But I don't feel it. Like, and, and he's, listen, I, we can't miss, he's in the house sipping iced tea at that point. Get what I'm saying? He is not, it's not that he doesn't care. It's not that he isn't interested. It's not that he is, is wanting to be absent, but he knows if he's always just giving, a, that, that we will never mature, we'll never grow. We'll never be able to do more unless he releases us to do it. And so sometimes God feels, feels to us like he's distant, but he's not. He's, he's releasing things to us. He's helping us to grow and become more capable and, that we're, and he knows that we're, it's really a compliment to us. We're ready to step in. You know, we know he's going to help us. His spirit is in us. But, but when it comes to doing certain things, God just is releasing us to go and do the things we need to do. But he's with us. And we need to understand that. And we, he doesn't expect us to live life on our own. And just like my boys call me for advice, I want you to know that, that he is ready at any time should we ask him to give us the advice and the help that we need. But, but we may feel at times like we have to kind of navigate a little. Does that make sense? You're catching what I'm saying. So don't see God as distant at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's going to release things to us. 
I love this quote from uh, John Eldred. He wrote Wild at Heart, but in another book he wrote called Fathered by God, he writes, we aren't meant to figure out life on our own. God wants to father us. I love that quote. He really does. And I don't think we give the Father enough credit that for all he's doing and, and teaching us and releasing us to do things sometimes. And that's, that's part of my fathering was to release my kids and to do things beyond what, what, what they could do when I had them so close at hand. And so, so we don't, I don't want us to worry when we feel those feelings like, oh, but what, what it means is God is trusting us. He's giving us more ownership. This idea of God being Father is really, really central in the life of Jesus Christ. It, it, it is a very central teaching. And the New Testament makes it clear that not only is he Jesus' Father, but he's also our Father as well. When he rose from the dead, he said to Mary, I'm going to, listen to this, my Father and to your Father. I'm going to my Father and your Father. And, and so immediately that we have this idea of God our Father. Now, this concept of God being a father is very, very unusual in terms of world religions. There, no other religion uh, really e acknowledges or accepts that idea, for the most part, that God is our father, and especially not that we would have a close relationship with him. Now, the Jews uh, understood God's fatherhood, if you will, from the Old Testament, but they were very reluctant to think of God that way, and they felt like it was almost an unholy thing to even think of God as, as being a father. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have this very very unique opportunity as, as Christian people, as believers. In a, in, in fact, we're even encouraged, as we read in our text today, in this most intimate and tender of terms to say, Abba, Father. Abba, Abba was the, the name that uh, little children, little Hebrew children were taught to call their daddy. And how we say Dada, they would say Abba. It's the tenderest of terms that could even be spoken. And yet we're encouraged, it's okay. That's the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. Isn't that amazing? And so for, this, this, for us, this idea of God as a father is incredibly meaningful. And we may ask the question, and rightfully so, well, because we hear that Jesus is God's only son, right? So, so how can he be God's only son, and yet we also can claim God as our father? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you there's two ways that we can call him father as well. First of all, when, I, when we put our faith in Christ to forgive us of our sins and invite him to be the Lord of our lives, the Bible tells us that this happens, whether you feel it or not, but this is spiritually what's happening, and you should feel it, is that the old me dies, the old us is dead, and no longer alive, I no longer live, Christ lives in me, and the new us begins to live. And this is the meaning of what's behind when, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. You have to be born again. So you, and, and Nicodemus is thinking, what, can I go into my mother's womb? No, 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 you're not getting it. This is a spiritual thing, but it's a real thing. When I say spiritual, it doesn't mean it's not real. It's just spiritual. And you're going to be born again. You're not going to be your old man anymore. You're going to be a new man. You're going to be a new woman in God. And so first way that we can call God our Father is because in Christ we're born new. And, and, and that's such, a, such an amazing thing. First Peter 1, 3-5 up on the screen says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Hallelujah. That's that new birth, right? Thought we had it on the screen. 
So I must have forgot it. Okay, here's the second way. So there's the first way that we get to call him Father. Here's the second way we get to call God our Father. It's found in the fact that he chose to adopt us. He chose to adopt us. Now remember, uh, when we see the word uh, uh, sonship or adoption as sons, that's important language for women as well. I've talked about this in, in other messages I've given, but I just want to reiterate it at this moment. The fact that it says sons at that moment is very, very important to you ladies, believe me. Because in those days when that was written, it was only the male children that would receive the inheritance. But what he's saying, and, and listen to me, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, uh, uh, you know what I'm saying, there's uh, uh, slave or free. In God's sight, we're all one in him. So now the promise of sonship becomes that for the daughters as well, that you get that full inheritance as well. So don't be put off when you see these specific references to being a son in, when it talks about your inheritance, because it's talking about you too. And that's, it's important that the language remain that way so we understand it more fully. So, so, so what happens is, is uh, sometimes we go through these difficult times in our life and, and we wonder where the Father is in those times. And, uh, and it could be that God is allowing us uh, to, to do things that will make us better and uh, work on things. But, uh, you know, in other words, giving us some space. But I want you to know that, that God is doing things to work in our lives. Look at this from Hebrews 12, 5 through 9. Again, it starts with my son, but again, include yourself, ladies, as well. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone who he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. So, so here you have this incredible fray, uh, part, part of Scripture here that says, you're going to go through hardship. And that that's part of God's plan. You think, wow, I don't like the sound of that. But, but you need to think this through. It's important. Now, let me just stop before I go any further with this, this topic because I want to be clear about something. Sickness and illness is not in the category of hardships. Okay, that's an important distinction. You know, uh, w- would you do that to your child? Would you take cancer and put it on your child to discipline them or teach them a lesson? Of course not. That's absurd. How could we think God would do that to his children? See, and we, we've made a terrible misjudgment about God, and we've listened to people that have not understood God when we come to this conclusion that God uses sickness as part of those hardships and part of his discipline. Now, now, can we learn through those things? Can God work things together for good? Absolutely. But never, ever believe that sickness or pain or injury of those kinds is something that God is doing to you. Otherwise, I don't know how you end up not having a very twisted view of the Father. How do, you, how do you draw close an Abba Father and at the same time wonder if he's going to dump something like that on you? But now, now, when it came to disciplining my children, which I had to do from time to time, and especially the older two, I don't know what it was, Abraham came along. If we'd have had him first, I would have been a terrible parent because I thought that was the ideal. Like, I think maybe three, four times in my whole life I gave him a little swat and it was enough to get him straightened out. The other boys, hey, and by the way, the Bible says if you don't, Discipline your children with the rod. And, and listen, don't, don't let society mess you up. I'm not talking about abuse. You know I'm not. 
And I raised three good kids, and I never abused them once. I did everything I did in love. But if you don't use the rod, the Bible says, you hate your children. That's how clean the Bible is about this. Now, that doesn't mean you're leaving welts. It doesn't mean you're bruising your children. That's abuse. But a good hard swat on the rear end, you know, and I used to, I literally would take our paddle, and before I would go into the bedroom where I told them to go, I would smack myself on the thigh first so I knew how hard to hit. So it would be painful, but it would not be abusive. Do you understand? And you, and you think, oh, no, we're an enlightened society. We don't, listen, I don't know about you, but I'm going to live by this book. I even water my lawn according to this book. You want to hear why? Yeah, I thought you might. See, I don't know when, you know, and maybe it's, maybe it's the best time. Everybody's figured this out. But, but this is how I decided when my sprinklers would start in the morning, my automatic sprinklers. Because it says in Genesis that a mist in the morning, a mist used to come up and water the ground. So I said, that's the best time to water. I don't care what they think out there. That's when God thought the best time to have the sprinklers come on was. So I'm going to do it in the morning. Don't ever think you can't get great ideas out of this book, okay? I don't know where that came from. That was way out there. But you need, listen, parents, especially young parents. I know you're trying to, you know, you're trying to be like the nanny show that came out years ago. Oh, Thomas, just sit there in the corner. Yeah, sometimes the corner works, sometimes it don't work. Go get that paddle. Give them a good, you know, make sure they, listen, make sure they cry, okay? I know this sounds terrible. Make sure they cry because if they don't, you haven't gotten to their heart yet. And they're just stealing themselves. I can tougher this out. Listen, if they do that, you've lost. If there's not a brokenness. Now, I'm not saying beat your child. You know, oh, God, please help me. It's hard to talk about this because I can think, I can, I almost can feel it in the room like there's these random thoughts just floating around of people thinking I'm a wacko. I believe what the Bible says. And there's discipline and there's hardships. Listen, some of the hardships you and I are going through, not illness, not sickness, but some of the hardships we're going through are things that God is allowing in our lives to make us better. You know? Like, like, like the time my, my son left his wallet in a, in a restaurant. He left his wallet there. And he was, he was on, we were getting ready to go on vacation. Now, I wasn't going to spoil his vacation, so I gave him enough money. I said, but because you were careless, when we get home, you're going to do some work to earn that money back. Right? And so I put him out in my garage, and I had a, a big bucket of nails and screws. I made him sort them all out. He earned like 100 bucks, okay? So I was really nice about it. But he had to spend a few hours out there earning the money. You understand what I'm saying? Because he, he was careless, and he needed discipline. He needed some hardship in his life to teach him lessons. He's pretty good with money now. He, he doesn't, you know, he's good with stuff like that. So, so these are the things we do, and this is what we understand about God, is he treats us the same. But I want you to know that, that if you do undergo hardship, what that means is you are a true son or you are a true daughter. That means you belong to God if you're going through hardships. And by the way, he's not going to leave you stuck where you are. He's not going to leave you alone. James 1.17, oh, I just love this verse. Every, listen, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the, what does it say? Father of heavenly lights, and I love this part especially, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Oh, man. How many of us in our humanity, there, we, you know, we're up one day, we're down the next, but God is steady. And listen, clearly, somebody needs to hear this today. God is not playing games with you. He's not like that. He's not changing like shifting shadows. He is consistent. He is faithful. 
And remember these words from Jesus himself. He says, no, no, listen, the Father himself loves you. See, some of us struggle with that because we had a bad upbringing. We didn't have a good dad in our life. We struggle with that idea, but I want you to know the Father in heaven himself loves you. Hear it clearly today. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says this, In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His, listen to this word, pleasure, pleasure and will. Isn't that amazing? His pleasure was to do that. I was reading a story this week about a young man named Sam who had a mentor, and the mentor had called him and said, what's bringing you joy these days? What's, what's making you happy? And Sam began to talk about a sea kayak that he had been saving up for, and he was pretty close to having enough money for it. He hoped that he would be able to purchase this soon, but he said, but then he said, but, so, but I feel like God is opposed to it. And so the mentor asked him why. He says, well, And listen to these words and see if this betrays your heart a little bit sometimes. I guess I find it hard to believe that God wants anything good for me. Now, maybe you don't think about it like that right now, but there might be times you have thought it that way. And it might be hard for us to verbalize, but I would venture to say that most of us at one time or another felt that way about God. We're wondering if He really does want us to enjoy life. Some of that may come from our own upbringing. Many of us who come from broken homes where our dad was absent, aloof, or worse, was abusive, these these kinds of things can cause us to be jaded or even evade a relationship with God as Father. I know that when I first got saved, that's the way it was with me. I was okay with Jesus, but Father was like a very weird term for me. It took me four years of being a believer before I opened up to my relationship with my Heavenly Father in a way that was healthy. Not that He wasn't my Father during those years, but I just was having trouble with the concept. 19 years old, in a chapel service at Bible school, uh, he revealed himself to me as a loving, good father. Thank God for that. If you don't have that revelation in your life, ask him to give it to you, maybe even today, maybe before this service is over, that you would know you have a dad who loves you, he cares about you. Some can, can have a great upbringing. I had a crummy one, but, but some can have a great upbringing. Like a pastor friend of mine that I met with this week, he, he, his dad did a really good job of raising him and his three brothers. He wasn't absent. He wasn't distant or abusive in any way. But my friend, even as we talked this week and we got kind of deep into our topic, we, we began to get into this, and he, he felt a bit of a sense that, that he, for some reason, whether it was something his dad did overtly or not, but he felt this sense that he wasn't good enough, that he just didn't measure up to some standard that was out there. He was driven by performance and trying to earn favor. He didn't really understand why he was doing these things. And I'm not talking about a young man. I'm talking about a guy who's 50 years old now, dealing with these issues of like, what's going on? And I'll tell you, I, I can so relate to that. Rhonda asked me, we went golfing yesterday, and I, I hit a stupid shot. I was so, and, I, and she doesn't like this, but once in a while I kind of I lose my temper out there. I apologize if that makes you mad at me, but don't get mad at me. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so, no, I really am pretty even t- keeled a lot of times, but sometimes I'm out there golfing, and, uh, and she, says, she says to me, just laugh at it like I do. And I'm trying to tell her, and I couldn't quite explain it yesterday, so maybe I can explain it now in this moment because this wasn't in my notes. But, but the thing is, is, is she's really good at that. She can just laugh off stuff. But way down deep in my soul, there's this, still this gnawing thing of performance. Like I've got to earn approval. I've got to be good. I've got to, right? I gotta, if I, and if I mess up and if I screw up, then I feel like I'm disappointing someone. 
Now, I know if I think deeply enough about it that that's dumb, and all that I've just preached to you, I just said, man, that's the God I serve. And it isn't about God's displeasure with me, but it's amazing how things like that can continue to gnaw at you your whole life. And and it's still, as a 59-year-old, almost 60-year-old guy, I'm still dealing with it. And I'm still working through it. We think maybe we have to earn the Father's love. That somehow maybe He doesn't really want me to enjoy life. That, that, and taking it a step further, here's where we really get messed up in our heads, is when something bad happens in our life. Now, I'm not talking about the Lord's discipline, but I'm talking about something bad happens in our life. We think we deserve it because we messed up. Maybe a pastor at one time preached something inadvertently or even vertently, which isn't a word, but, but in other words, did it on purpose. I know it isn't a word because it's underlined in red on my page here. (laughs) But maybe a pastor said something once that made you even feel that way. And if it was me, I apologize to you. I really am sorry. I ask your forgiveness. I, I hope, though, if you've been around me long enough, you've heard me say this before, and if not, hear me say it today, that the Father is pleased with you as a person. He is absolutely 100% pleased with you. And your acceptance and your worth and your identity do not come from what you do, but who you are. You need to hear that today and let that sink deep into your heart. For you are a son, you are a daughter of the Most High God. And what you do flows out of who you are, not the other way around. And you have acceptance and love in the Father. 1 John 3, 1-2 says, See what great love. The Father has lavished on. I think I used this verse a couple weeks ago, but it's so good. That we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. And the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but I'm telling you, it's going to be great. We're going someplace with all this, folks. See, I tried to be the best dad I could, the best father I could. And did my kids ever do things that were wrong? Did they mess up? Did they do things that disappointed me? Uh, What do you think? right? They're kids, right? But did I ever stop loving them even for a moment? Did I ever start thinking, man, I hope you have a terrible life? Maybe one second, but no, I got it off the plate pretty fast. There was that time with Alex. Oh, no, I never really, I'm I'm kidding. I never thought that about him. I never thought about any of my kids. I never started thinking, boy, I hope they don't enjoy life at all because of what they're doing right now. I just hope they don't. No, of course not. I was a pretty good dad. But listen to these words of Jesus from Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you are evil, oh, are you kidding me? Wait a minute. Is Jesus saying I was evil as a father? No, that's not what he's saying. He goes on to say that I will give only good gifts to my children, so that doesn't sound like evil, does it? Let's continue to read. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him? What he's saying is that in contrast to God, my very best that I could do for those three young men that grew up in my home would would be like evil compared to His goodness. So if there's any thought remaining in your head that God's not going to be good to you, then you can put that out of your head. Because as good a dad as I could have possibly been to my kids, not perfect, but I tried the best I could, My best efforts were evil compared to the goodness of God. That is astounding. That is amazing. It's it's this overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. 
I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God gave it anyway. Amen? He gave his life away. I love this from Matthew 6 and in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is getting to this part where he says in Matthew 6, 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Watch. Are you not much more valuable than they? How valuable you are to God. How valuable. Later on, just to tie all this in, the value that God has with you and me, he says, so do not worry, because that's what we do. <laughs> but he says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, or what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. Again, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So not only are you valuable to God, but he also knows what you need in life and is going to take care of those needs as well. That's the Father we have today. That's our God, our Father. So where do these thoughts then, I'm almost going to land this plane here, trust me, but uh, where do these thoughts of falling short and the uh, need to earn love, where does all that come from then? That's right. They come from, listen to me, a different father. A different father. He's identified in John 8, 44. And Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees who, who are living under that old system of the law. They're living under that idea that they think they can get right with God by earning or, or, or deserving it in some way. And, and that's why, you know, we started with Galatians. We said, listen, you're no longer a slave to that way of life. You've grown up and now you're in the new system. And he says in John 8, 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar. And watch this. He is the father of lies. So when those thoughts that are contrary to the word of God come into your head, you're listening to the wrong father. The father of lies. And, and that's a great thing to know because they're lies. They're lies. They're, they're not truths. Now listen, let me just give a little bit of a correction, not a correction, but a uh, just caveat to that. The enemy can sometimes start with Scripture, which is truth. Like he did with Eve in the garden. The word of God to Eve was, to you must not eat tree, uh, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must, uh, you know, and so, right? But what does the devil say? Genesis 3.3, he says, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And he goes on, listen, and he adds to the Word of God. He says, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, it seems like a, oh, that's just a small distinction. No, because the devil can quote Scripture and he can start with truth, but by adding something to it, he's made it a non-truth. So, well, what's the answer? Well, yes, it's true. God said, don't eat the tree from the middle of the garden. So the devil is telling the truth. No. Keep reading. He says, you can't touch it or you'll die. So the question I want to ask you as we wrap this up and as the worship team comes forward is, who are we going to believe today? Are we going to believe what the Father of lights, who there's no shifting of shadows, there's no monkey business, there's no playing games with God. Are we going to believe Him? Or are we going to believe the liar who says, you're not worthy, you're not able, you're not able to accomplish anything, you're not worthy of God's love, you're not making it, you're not enough. These are lies, and we can't listen to them. Thank God for good earthly fathers. I appreciate men in this church. I see that I could start naming names. and I, You know, Chris, you stand out to me. I just want to say about this guy. I know there's, there's a lot of good dads here. But he has just been doing a great job with his kids. And uh, I, you amaze me. And I love the way you love those boys. I'm so proud of you. I, I'm just amazed when I see men who really get it right. So thank God for good earthly fathers. Amen?
And thank God for good mentors in life, people that spiritually come along and help us in some way. Here's the deal. Every person born at some point had to have a male person involved in some way, right? You know, we get that. I mean, that's just, you know, there's, they haven't figured out a way to get babies any other way. Now, they can be started in test tubes. I understand that. There's all kinds of different scientific ways they can do things. But you really can't make a person without a male being involved somewhere. And sadly, Paul will come along and he'll say in the New Testament, well, there, there are not many fathers. You don't have very many fathers. So some, some of us may have had a good dad growing up. Some of us may not have. Some of us may be fortunate enough to have a father in the faith, somebody we really look up to, who's taking time to invest in us and invest in our life. And I've had some men in my life, but I've never really had a mentor, somebody I'd consider a mentor. So what's the solution for people like me? Maybe like you, male or female. It, it, do, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. It's, it doesn't matter if you've had a dad or not. God intended that everyone would have a father. And I know some of you listen to my stories about my kids and you think, you might be thinking, well, I wish I had someone like that in my life. But the truth is, I didn't have that. And I'm not, I'm not being hard when I say this, but you don't have an excuse. Just, you know, what are you going to do? Just mope around the rest of your life because you didn't have that? Or are you going to turn to someone who can help you, the Heavenly Father? Come on. I, didn't, I didn't know how to be a dad. In fact, it just dawned on me the other day. Oh, shoot, I don't even know how to be a grandpa. <laughs> I never had a grandpa growing up. I never saw one modeled in my life. Even my kids didn't really have, they had a little bit of Rhonda's mom and dad, but they were very distant, not their fault, but we moved away. And, and my mom was dead at, at an early age. My dad was never involved in my life. So that my kids didn't even have a grandpa. I don't even have a model of what a grandpa is supposed to be, and I'm just trying to figure that out too. Come on. But that's okay. <laughs> but we cannot use the lack of a father figure, whether it's physically or spiritually in our lives, as some kind of excuse to be unproductive in the faith. We just can't. Or to be a bad dad, or you know what I'm saying? Or whatever. You just can't do that. It's not going to work. Because we have God on our side. Come and on. the lack of a father doesn't mean you're broken any more than anyone else around us. Listen, we all are broken until we come to Jesus. And then he fixes us. And there may be many... Here's another thing to think about. In our church and around in your life, there may be many good men around here that are willing at least to give some wisdom or advice to others or, or from time to time even they may be available to help or lend a hand with something directly to show you how to do something. You think, well, I don't, listen, that's how I figured out to do a lot of stuff. I could build a house from the ground up, but I didn't do that because I had a dad show me. I just saw men working on stuff and I'd walk up and I'd, I'd just stand there and watch them. And, they, and then I'd ask them questions. You know, if you ask any contractor a question, they're very happy to tell you all everything they know because they're, they're proud of what they're doing. Now, I'm not stealing from anybody. I just want to know how to fix the plumbing for myself, right? So you just learn. You just learn from people. Just ask questions. Don't be afraid. Go out and ask questions. Ask people to speak into your life. Ask for advice. But finally, and most of all, never, ever forget your Heavenly Father. <laughs> Come on. He is closer than you think at all times. And, and even though you may feel like, well, his, I don't feel like he's just right. I don't think his arms are around me as I'm mowing this lawn. Well, listen, he's watching. He's watching you. And if you really get in trouble, if you really need him, you can call on him. He will answer when you need him. But sometimes he's just releasing you to do the work. He's closer than you think. And my, oftentimes, what, what the Bible says is we don't have because we don't ask. So just ask him. 
Thank you for listening to Praise Center's Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.